Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Looking for something to do on Tuesday, November 7th at 7 p.m.? I'll tell you what to do. Come step first Tuesdays. My and I will be hosting a political talk show in Bridgeport at Maria's, 960 West 31st Street. We'll be talking about uh, politics in Chicago, Asian-American political power in Chicago. Alderwoman Nicole Lee will be joining us, and Alderwoman Lenny Mana Hoppenworth will be joining us. That is Tuesday, November 7th, 7 p.m., Maria's, 960 West 31st Street. Be there or be square. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Wednesday, November 1st, starts now. On today's show, it's Wednesday, so none other than Monroe Anderson back with us for another Monroe Wednesdays. The Ben Jarofsky show is a presentation of the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. If you want to know what to do, where to go, what to eat, what to drink, what's going on in Chicago politics, what Ben Jarofsky likes to do on the weekends, I'm going to give you a hint. It has to do with the Chicago Bulls. Then you need to go to ChicagoReader.com. All that information and so much more is waiting for you. And if you want more Ben Jarofsky, I always say this, but you can find him there too. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Baby Library Wednesday, and here's why. Well, uh, there's a showdown vote today in the city council. It may have already happened. It may be happening at this very moment. I do not know. I've been preoccupied with other things. So I haven't really been paying attention to what the Chicago City Council is up to. But I do know that this vote is scheduled to uh, happen today. And that vote has to do with, drumroll please, Alderman Raymond Lopez of the 15th Ward's proposal to ban baby libraries from public walkways. At least ban them if you're a private citizen. No more baby libraries if you're a private citizen. As if this is the greatest public issue Chicago is facing. Alderman Raymond Lopez's proposal raises many issues, such as, one, hey, Alderman, don't you have anything better to do besides propose this? Two, if this passes for getting something done, does this mean that getting things done is overrated? That's actually an interesting point. We'll get into that later. And three, do the, does the Bulls win over Indiana mean they are finally turning things around and on their way to a successful season? I know that last point has nothing to do with the issue, but I just wanted to say it anyway because I was really excited when the Bulls beat the Pacers the other night. And I realized there's a chance I'll be very disappointed when they lose to Dallas tonight. All right, anyway, let me clarify a few things. Uh, the uh, I call them baby libraries. Some people call them uh, little libraries. Uh, some people call them uh, book what do they call book boxes? Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know what you you have your own word for them, but you know what they are? Those little boxes that people put up. They're all decorated, nice little colors, and they put books in them. And as you walk by, you take a book uh, or you could put a book in there. I think of all the problems the city of Chicago has. We have many, 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 many problems, which I'm not going to chronicle right now. Just going to state the obvious. We have many, many problems. I would say that the issue of baby libraries on public walkways is not even in the top of thousand. Of all the problems. No, no, no. I wouldn't say it's in the top 10,000. In fact, I'll go so far as to say it's not even a problem. So no matter how long the list of problems the city faces or challenges the city faces, it's not on that list because it's not a problem. I don't know why Raymond Lopez uh, raised this issue. I, I read his interviews. I read his quotes as to why he did it. It's like they're cluttering up the area. No, they're not. I live on the north side, Raylo. There's a lot of these baby libraries all over the place. They're not cluttering up anything. There's maybe, I don't know, two to a block. And sometimes you can't even see them. They're so small. It's like, what is wrong with promoting reading? You get what I'm saying? What is wrong with like a free exchange of books? Like, are you weird? Democrats are weird. Raylo is running for Congress right now uh, as a Democrat against Chewy Garcia. At least he's collecting signatures. I don't know if he's actually going to run. If you recall, Raylo, we ran, announced he was running for mayor uh, in 2023, uh, earlier this year. And then he didn't run for mayor, ran for re-election. So who knows? Maybe he won't run against Chewy Garcia. But the point is, the one thing that Democrats in this day and age agree with is that you should encourage book exchanges. You know what I'm saying? Democrats are like all for free speech when it comes to libraries. Uh, our own Secretary of State, Giannoulis, is sort of taking a lead on this. You're protecting against book banning. Just promoting the notion that books are a good thing. All right? So why would you be against a baby library? I, I, I find that really bizarre. And there it gets to, um, now just so you know, According to this ordinance from Raymond Lopez, if you're like an organization, you can put up the little library. So like, let's say it was the Monroe Anderson Community Group. All right. That Monroe, as opposed to Monroe Anderson Citizen Journalist, the Monroe Anderson Community Group could put up a baby library as long as they put it's the Monroe on the on the library. They put a little piece of paper or something that said this is by, put here by the Monroe Anderson Community Group. The, it, its address is 222 Jones Street. Its phone number is 222-2222. Then you got to identify yourself. You got to tell the man who you are. Man, what bureaucracy we don't need. Anyway, this gets to my favorite point. Monroe Anderson's now. This is the part where I'll bring Monroe Anderson and get his years of experience on. Uh, I've heard many politicians chastise because they don't get things done. In fact, I've heard it from people on the left and I heard it from people on the right. The people on the left, I remember, like, dear friend McDumkey was always chastising a little bit Bernie Sanders. He never passed anything, Ben. He never passed anything, to which I would say, in the city of Chicago, most of the stuff gets that gets passed is stuff you don't even want to pass anyway. So why would you get credit for passing it? How about if you try to pass something that is worthwhile and it gets blocked? Doesn't that count for something? Isn't it better to have tried to pass something that's worthwhile, like health care for all, and be blocked than pass something that's utterly worthless, like banning baby libraries? Right? 
So in some cases, you could argue that not passing anything at all is better than passing something if the stuff that you can't pass is worthwhile and the stuff that you can't pass is worthless. Now, Monroe Anderson, I know his brain works, so go, Ben, what about Jim Jordan, the congressman from Ohio? <laughs> I know how Monroe's brain works. That's that wacky right-wing congressman from Ohio, that the Trump lover that almost was elected speaker. Well, not almost. There was a movement to elect him speaker last week, and it was it was snuffed out. Apparently, he is too obnoxious even for Republicans. I, okay, he's never passed any legislation, but he plays a particular role in Congress, I would argue. He plays, uh, I think it's a worthless role, but he's the voice for MAGA in Congress. And so that's the role he plays. So it's not like, oh, you're utterly, completely useless if you're not passing legislation. A different role, a different function. So anyway, I uh, will bring on Monroe to get his thoughts on this as I plead with uh, the aldermen of Chicago to vote down Ray Lowe's proposal. Utterly ridiculous and absurd ban on baby libraries. All right, Monroe, uh, your thoughts on those baby libraries. If you were an alderman, would you vote with Alderman Lopez to ban them or would you vote with me? to keep them free and open to all. Go. You haven't considered the utility of banning baby libraries. Instead of going to all the trouble of banning books one at a time, you can ban a group of them and you don't even have to identify them or anything. It's just like, so you can't be accused of discriminating or anything like that. It's just that, um, You'd much rather uh, uh, a citizen see dog poop and trash <laughs> on, the, on the side of the sidewalk instead of a, a library book. Oh, God, you're right. I just thought about that, too. You know? <laughs> yeah. there. I think there are uh, there are uh, ordinances. It's so funny. There, oh, there is. A, yeah, but... Um, I've never heard of anybody being fined for what. No, if I've never heard of fines up. Yeah. yeah. Somebody uh, who's who's had one of those for 40 some years. And so I, I know the curses of that. Well, I uh, dog walkers. Uh I, I I'm I'm of the I'm my my view of it is if the legislation is worthless, uh you should not get credit for passing legislation. So that's my now when I move out from beyond the particular issue of baby libraries uh, on the public walkway uh, and get back to my my endless McDumkey debate with McDumkey, uh, mostly having to do with Bernie Sanders because Mick was not a huge Bernie Sanders fan. And as you know, what you always call me, a Bernie bro. Uh, and uh, he always chastised Bernie because Bernie didn't pass enough legislation. And then I would then have that argument, as I pointed out, that most legislation that gets that legislators pass is stuff you wouldn't want to happen anyway. So why would you give a legislator, uh, you know, a pat in the back for passing legislation? Like they passed legislation to sell the parking meters. Should they get like a little star for that? For you know, I mean, for selling the parking meters, one of the most worthless, harmful pieces of legislation of this century in the city. It's not worthless to the bank that's making all the money off of it. 
it's quite profitable. So I guess the the banks are uh, should give the Alderman Stars who got that pass. Uh, anyway, so would you vote on envelopes instead? Uh, be, yeah. <laughs> we we ran out of stars, so we'll let's do. <laughs> we'll give you brown envelopes with green paper in them. Uh, or as uh, Jesse Jackson would say, when you were passing around the uh, the basket for contributions, when you put the money, I want the money that's silent. I don't want the jingle jangle kind of money. I want the money that's. Jesse Lewis Jackson was really good at passing the hat. All right. So before we move on, would you vote yes or would you vote no on the ban the baby libraries proposal by Ray, Raymond Lopez? Go. I, I, I would vote no. And while I was at it, I, I, I don't know if they've revoked the spinning on the sidewalks yet. But <laughs> if they haven't, I, 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 I vote yes to that, to banning them, ban, ban, banning the law that. That says you can't spit on the sidewalk. Okay. Uh, by the way, uh, before we completely move on from today's city council meeting, right before I came on the show, I saw uh, an update from a Crane Chicago business. Shout out Justin Lawrence. That uh, man, the parliamentary maneuvering at the city council. Uh, so the city council has officially delayed uh, voting on the Bring Home Chicago Bring Chicago Home Ordinance would which slap a tax on the sale of really uh, expensive property in order to generate money uh, for housing. Uh, they and it was the sponsors. Just just so you know, this ordinance would not implement a tax. No, what it would do is put on the ballot a referendum, a question asking you. The taxpayers, whether you or you, not the taxpayers, you the voters, uh, although pretty much I think all voters pay taxes in one form or another, you the voters, whether you want to implement such a tax. So it's like, it's, I don't know why anybody would be against it. Uh, well, I guess like now I just said well, that. Those, those of us who own million dollar homes <laughs> don't like it at all. No, I, I would say, why would anybody get be against the uh, the opportunity to vote on it? But then as soon as I said that, I go, oh, uh, if you own a million-dollar home and you want to defeat any chance that it'll ever uh, come before the voters or become a reality, this is how you do it. So right, right. Uh, now I understand. I answered my own question before I asked it. Um, but uh, so it's the sponsors of the proposal that have delayed it. They, they're the ones who uh, called for the parliamentary maneuver to delay it. And according to Cranes, they did it just ahead of the opponents. Now, why it matters who delayed it, uh, because I do not know. Uh, Justin Lawrence did not explain. Maybe he doesn't know. Maybe the sponsors don't know. <laughs> it could be a feudal city council maneuver, not unlike uh, Raymond Lopez's proposal to ban uh, baby libraries. But I'm, the net effect is I'm, I'm, I'm guessing the sponsors of it got a gold star for <laughs> Good job. When you get together afterwards, oh, that was really good parliamentary maneuvering. Uh, right. Right. You, you remember when Paul, uh, my God, I can't remember his name. He was a state legislator, and he used to come up with these. He, he would propose a law where railroads had to be six inches wider the tracks. <laughs> and, then, I, I, and, and when he died, there were 
boxes full of cash under his bed. Oh, Paul Powell. Secretary yeah, right, State. Paul Powell. Yeah, right. When the dude died, they found shoeboxes filled with cash in his right, closet. Right, right, like, exactly. Same guy was taking cash. Right, right. That is correct. He would propose right. a meaningless piece of legislation that would be burdensome right. to some industry, so they would pay him just right. to kill the legislation. Right. Didn't That's even right. spend the money. He just like that is. Well, you don't know if he spent it or not. He he didn't spend it all, obviously. <laughs> obviously, he didn't spend it all. You're right. You're right about that. Right. I don't know. Just the concept of putting it into a shoebox. I guess he couldn't put it in the bank because then the banks would know about it. You right. follow what I'm saying? The feds right. would eventually know about it. So he, he just squirreled it away in these shoeboxes. And ah, that's for a, a rainy day. For a rainy day. Yeah. You know what? I sit corrected one more time. Uh, for all I know, there were 50 more boxes that uh, he, he that we never saw that he just emptied over the years. So, yeah, maybe he did spend it on things. Uh, Anyway, so the uh, they've put off to another day uh, the vote on the referendum as to whether they'll slap a tax on uh, well-to-do homes. Uh, and it's just it's an interesting thing here in the uh, city of Chicago. I pointed this out before. I'll point it out again. Right now we're having a debate uh, as to whether we will uh, build housing, find housing for the new uh, Venezuelan uh, refugees, immigrants who are coming to Chicago by bus, by plane. Uh, being brought here by politicians in Texas, politicians apparently in New York, and Colorado. Uh, so the issue is, should we build them housing? And invariably, uh, the response from uh, all the people who don't want the city to build them housing is, we're not doing anything for the people who knew, knew, need housing right now in the city of Chicago. So the implication, Monroe Anderson, that is that they want to do something uh, for the people who need housing in Chicago. Here's their chance. Guess what? There's a group of aldermen who are going to vote no. My guess, they're the same group of aldermen who are voting no to building housing for the refugees and who are saying, we have needs right now that we're not meeting. You guys don't want to build any new housing. <laughs> I think you should be prohibited, here you go, from saying we're not doing enough for the people who need housing now, you have to be prohibited from using that argument if you vote no on Bring Chicago Home. Monroe, do you agree with me or do you think that's a violation of their First Amendment right to be completely hypocritical? Go. I I, I think they got some empty shoe boxes they're trying to fill. <laughs> that's my guess. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what a city, city of Chicago, man. Oh, I believe we got to take care of the people who live here. Except I'm not going to vote for anything that would take care of them. So I'm just going to make that argument. That's just like an abstract argument. We got to take care of them. All right, let's uh, move on from Chicago and um, go into Trump world, uh, the world we inhabit. Uh uh, every Wednesday with Monroe Anderson, who has been criticizing uh, Donald Trump. Uh, much to discuss. I'm going to start here. Uh, there was an article I just read uh, in the New York Times, uh, Monroe, about how uh, Trump's closest political uh, allies, the people who've stayed with him the longest and are still with him now, who stayed with him even when he uh, was leading the attempted coup uh, to try to keep 
uh, hold on to his presidency, even though the voters voted him out uh, in 2020. People like uh, Stephen Miller, Stephen Bannon, et cetera, and so forth. Um, they're preparing for the next Trump presidency. And um, they're preparing for the Trump presidency by, in this New York Times story, concentrated on the legal advice, the, the lawyers that Trump has around himself with when he is the president. And no more of these Namby Pamby Federal Society type lawyers uh, who play by the rules. They want lawyers like Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell's flipping right now uh, in the uh, the case in Georgia, who will do whatever Trump says. Who are you going to flip before it's over because he didn't have enough money? <laughs> <laughs> so they want those kinds of lawyers before they flip. Right. Uh, but here's the part of the story that. Uh, that struck me and I had to ask you about. Now, as Trump allies grow more confident of an election victory next fall, as Trump allies grow more confident in an election victory next fall, that's a line from the New York Times article. Yeah. And that echoes things I've been hearing throughout the universe from left and right. Joe Rogan, the podcaster, he's open. Yeah. He, he says Trump's a shoo-in. You know, he's a, he's a, one of those closeted Trump guys. He doesn't want to admit that he's for Trump, but you can tell by every every vibration of his uh, brain this, that emanates, he loves Trump and wants wants him elected. And if he won't admit it, uh, he thinks he's a shoo-in. People I talk to on the left uh, who are really angry uh, at the Biden administration for embracing Netanyahu in Israel, they think Trump's uh, a shoo-in. Uh, and... Uh, Stephen Miller and Stephen Bannon, Trump's closest uh, political allies, they think Trump is a shoo-in. Do you, Monroe Anderson, agree with all these people and think that Donald John Trump is a shoo-in to be elected president in November 2024? No. <laughs> the, uh, what's going to happen with all, all these people that are upset with Biden about Israel uh, are going to get in the voting booth and the ghost of 2020 is going to go like in, 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 in um, a Christmas story, a Christmas, uh, Christmas story, going to come to them and say, uh, here is Trump in uh, tw 20, 2015, 2016, this is what he did. And remember how he told you to take bleach to, to, for COVID? And remember when he tried to shake down uh, the Ukraine? Do you really want four more years of this? And do you really want a convicted criminal to be president of the United States? Because if he's not convicted by that time, is, is it, it will be shortly thereafter. Well, I'll, I'm going to push back with you a little bit here. Okay. Uh, I I take serious uh, the threat uh, that, of the left abandoning the Democratic Party uh, in the next election. I've lived through this. So have you. But I, I, I remember I was I think closer to home in 1968. Uh, my parents have. And a lot of their friends would not vote for Humphrey for president because of the war. 
before the war. Right. And they didn't vote necessarily for Nixon. They definitely didn't vote for George Wallace, who was running yeah. as a third party candidate. Yeah. Uh, some of them voted. They wrote in people, wrote in Eugene McCarthy, uh, or uh, they just didn't vote right. for, for president. Uh, and that has a cumulative impact, particularly in a swing state. So yeah. I take very seriously uh, the, the impact that um, the left could have on a close presidential election. And furthermore, uh, I take very seriously uh, lefties when they say they're not going to change. There was an article I read that was in in these times uh, this weekend. I was telling you about it. Uh, Monroe, I'm calling it up right here. Uh, Saka Body wrote this article uh, in these times. Quote: I am done voting for the lesser of two evils. I will not vote for Joe Biden in 2024. Uh, he just asserted that. Uh, it just he won't. I believe him when he says that. I absolutely believe him. I don't believe. There's anything uh, that a Democrat can say about Donald Trump uh, that would convince him or people who uh, voters who think like him uh, to vote for Joe Biden. The issue is, are there enough of them to, let's say, swing Michigan to Donald Trump or to swing uh, Wisconsin or Pennsylvania to Donald Trump? Your thoughts? um, I don't believe him. I, I I believe that when push comes to shove, he's gonna hold his nose. Um, maybe maybe uh, pull his hoodie up so people don't see that it's him going to vote and and vote against Trump, not for Biden, but against Trump. Uh, you know there 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 was this guy in the news yesterday who had threatened to um, kill. The, the the sheriff in 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 Georgia and the, the um and the prosecutor and he 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 left voicemail saying that they're going to die if they they put his president in jail or if they did this to his president or what have so he's been arrested for it and um the thing is um Lawrence O'Donnell says that um, anybody who calls you up and threatens to kill you is not going to kill you. If they're really going to kill you, they're going to kill you. They're not going to uh, tell you about it first. And I, I, I think um, anybody who is not who, who's going to go vote against Biden. It's just going to do it. They're going to sneak into it. They're not going to be talking about it. I think. I think this is a a threat that because he's doing this, I'm not going to vote for him. I don't. I, I don't think he's. I think he's going to vote. I think by the time we get around to it, and the ads are running against Trump, and Trump is getting more obnoxious and crazy day by day, that um, they'll be there. And then, of course, the uh, the the presumption uh, underlining all this is that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee. Oh no, that right, yeah. That sure. and that and this is uh, just an element of politics uh, that I've never seen before. Uh, I, I know about the 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 Rose Garden strategy employed by incumbent presidents, such as Richard Nixon, 
who right. just pretended as though George McGovern was not running against him because he was so busy being the president of the United States, he could not right. leave the White House. Right. Uh, Chicago mayors play a little bit of that. I remember Richie oh, Emmett, used yeah, to do that. You know, the city halls, right? I'm so busy being mayor. Well, I can't... well Richie ran against Sawyer that way. He wasn't even a, he, he, he wasn't even mayor yet. Right, and he ran a Rose Garden campaign. He did that he against Bobby did. Rush. Yeah. Uh, he pretended Bobby Rush didn't exist and Bobby yeah. Rush. Right. The only two people in the city of Chicago uh, who voted for Bobby Rush are talking to each other right now. Monroe Anderson and Ben Jarofsky. I voted for Bobby Rush. Proud of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 1999. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but Trump's strategy He's not the president, so there's no Rose Garden he can hang around with, but he is the defendant. So it's sort of like the courthouse strategy. He's he's stopped campaigning. Uh, It's just ignoring the debates. He very rarely ventures out into uh, states like Iowa or New Hampshire where the first elections will be held for the for the Republican nomination because he's so busy, like defending himself in New York. Uh, on the case regarding his business fraud, he's uh, th- then there's the case that's emerging in Georgia that he has to deal with. He's got four of them all total. You follow what I'm saying? Uh, particularly that case in New York, Monroe has really got him tied down. Uh, and well, no, he's been showing up for that case, and he doesn't have to be there. It's a civil case, he does not have to be there at all. He thinks that it, um, it benefits him to be in the courtroom to fire up his troops. And the other thing, of course, is that um, all this other stuff, you know, the nuclear bombs and um, Iran's plans and stealing documents, all that isn't important to him. His money is. So he's there trying to see what he can do to save his money, his business. But he is not required to be at a civil case. He doesn't have to show up. Well, I uh, no, he. We should get back to this. Uh, we'll close. I just want to finish up the conversation. I went on a tangent here, but I, I do want to come back to Trump's obsession uh, with the um, uh, uh, his trial in New York. I believe this is the case. Uh, this is true. I have, um, on a personal level. I've tried to dissuade uh, lefty voters down through the years to vote the lesser of two evil strategy, vote for the Democrat as opposed to the Republican. I've done that in many instances. I can't do that in this time around. So I take very seriously someone who says that the full embrace of uh, Joe Biden's position on Israel at the time uh, when Gaza is under siege the way it is, uh, attacks from bombing attacks from Israel. Uh, it's just too far. I, I just, I don't think, Monroe, I don't have it in me to say, oh yeah, but wait a minute, what about X, Y, Z? I'm just like, I understand where you're coming from and I have to respect it. So well, no, I understand it too, but that's, but, um, and it, it pisses me off the way the Palestinian people, not Hamas, but the Palestinian people are, are being used as, as pawns on both sides of this. Now, that pisses me off. But on the other hand, um, I'm not going to not vote for Biden because of that. Yeah. 
and and I, I, I although I think we should speak up about it uh, and nudge Biden to um, have a, a talk with um, the prime minister. Netanyahu. Yeah, 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 Netanyahu, I know. And also to um, maybe hold up the funds for a minute or two. The, 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 what, hundreds of billions of dollars we're going to give them to help them kill the Palestinians? Yeah, there's uh, billions of dollars for uh, wars throughout the country, in the, uh, but there's no money uh, for um, the homeless the homeless in the city of Chicago. Or uh, any place else. Uh, or any place else. And, LA, LA and, and San Francisco have an epidemic going on. Yeah. The weather's nicer. Uh, for just regular homeless, now we're not, not talking about the, the um, those that the the, the governors are shipping. A subject for another time. Yeah. Because if we go down this path, we'll be talking for at least a half an hour. Yeah, yeah. But uh, spending so much time in Cali as I do these days, because I have family yeah. there. Yeah. Spending so much time in LA, much different attitude regarding uh, Venezuelan immigrants coming into a city. My, Chicago, this has blown Chicago's mind uh it is it's revealing uh, it's just uh a hatred that has caught i have to say um it's, it has it caught me off guard yeah it did it has caught me off guard that just how widespread it is crosses different ethnic groups uh and i remember when there was opposition to the black community and you know, my attitude was well uh, these these communities got totally screwed year after year after year uh, by the policies of the city of Chicago. So I can understand. But now I see the same rhetoric being used in communities that aren't black. And I'm like, oh, this is something deep going on in the city of Chicago. Uh, yeah, it, it, I, I, I've said this before on your podcast. I'll say it again. It's NIMBY. Not in my black backyard. They don't want these foreigners close to them and i don't see that same attitude expressed in california as much as loudly as boldly uh and uh, at least in southern california so well, lots of hispanics there already so yeah and um and and the uh, i think the hispanics think about okay well this we we get more people we get more power well, what what what's the excuse of people of Brighton Park? There's a lot of Hispanic people in Brighton Park who showed up at a meeting last week. They were like to denounce it. They in Spanish. We don't want them. Send them back. So it it's like there's a different mindset in Chicago. There is it, and Chicagoans don't want to recognize this because Chicagoans want to feel good about themselves. Uh, or because they think it's harder to win over voters if you denounce the voters. Um, like people will tell me, Ben, stop denouncing Chicago. It's, it's going to make it that much harder to get us to, them to vote for us. I'm like, how could I not denounce Chicagoans, Monroe, when year after year I see Chicagoans, just to put it mildly, behaving horribly? Yeah. On what issue after that? You live through this stuff, but are you from 
well, you're from Gary, but you've, you've lived in Chicago well, now. For... I, and and Gary is a suburb of Chicago. So, Gary, folks, have you ever been to Gary, Indiana? It is, it's like Chicago in, in many ways, in, in many, many ways. We'll, we'll, we'll avoid that conversation. For yeah, right. We should, we should do that some other time. That's another. I would love to talk Gary with you because I'm fascinated by Gary, Indiana. But I, 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 just to end this part, there is a different attitude in L.A. Uh, and I hear what you're saying, that there uh, are, are more Spanish-speaking people in L.A. Uh, relative to the overall population. So maybe that has something and, to do with it. And, and it's, it's, it's making it more and more powerful. And they are aware of it. Remember, they, L.A. had the um, activists who said that um, they were going to take their land back that uh, the white Americans took from them one block at a time. <laughs> I can't remember his name, but <laughs> but that that quote stuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stuck. That quote stuck with you. You were like, I wish to do this in Gary. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, that uh, I'm going to stop rallying on the city of Chicago uh, for the moment and move on. Uh, go back to Trump. Yeah, speaking of your 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 polit political friends that are giving you good advice. Oh, not to denounce Chicagoans. Yeah, right. Uh, you might get some more listeners. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me, Chicagoans. I love you, and right. I share your opinion about ketchup on hot dogs. I don't want ketchup on hot dogs and dibs. Let's talk about dibs. Yeah, yes, I'm all for dibs with winter coming. And if you like the White Sox, you gotta hate the Cubs. I am a Chicagoan. <laughs> Sorry, Monroe, Chicago. I just lost 20 more potential listeners. Monroe, okay. I, I heard the clicking. <laughs> They're like, forget it. I'm going to WGN. Right. <laughs> I'm going back to that station that fired. Now I understand why that station fired you, Ben. Right, that, that's where they go, right? <laughs> where truth fire. where truth counts or something. Truth counts unless you're speaking it. Right. Uh, then it doesn't count. Don't talk of truth. All right, uh, enough on Chicago. Let's go back to Donald Trump. This, uh, he does have an obsession uh, with uh, the trial that's engulfed him in New York, and that's the trial, ladies and gentlemen, just to refresh your memory, uh, where they're citing him for essentially keeping two sets of books, uh, one set of books to govern uh, his property, the value of his property when he was trying to get favorable loans from banks, in which case he said it was worth more, and another set of books where when he was coming before the tax uh, <laughs> taxing bodies to say, hey, this property's not worth anything, so I should pay less in taxes. Uh, and um, uh, and somehow or other, this is still the man that 45% uh, of America thinks is going to clean up the swamp. Uh, He's very upset by this, uh, Monroe, because as one article after another points out, it's sort of challenging his notion that he is uh, this triumphant businessman, this man of capital uh, who is uh, controls the master of the universe, the universe being the New York real estate industry. Uh, and he's not in control and his building, his empire isn't worth nearly as much uh, as he would have you believe. Uh, and he's not a particularly good businessman. So I guess this is why he is uh, so worried about this case. Right. It's his whole reputation. 
which he he worked carefully to um, generate over decades, 50 years or so. And it's hurting his pocketbook. You know, and, 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 and I, I, I read back in the 70s that Trump would call up Forbes and lie and tell them how much richer he was than he actually was. Mm-hmm. And it was another thing. Okay, well, he's lying about how rich he is. But um, outside of New Yorkers, nobody was paying any attention to Trump. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so now I still don't think other than people like you, me, Jim Coogan, uh, and uh, like the hardcore anti-Trump uh, people, I thought a lot of folks are paying attention to this, um, the crookedness of Donald Trump. I wish more people, obviously, were paying attention to it, and I applaud uh, Letitia James for filing this case. I assume you agree with me on that, right? Uh, for taking yeah. taking a lot of heat for it, Monroe. I gave her a lot of credit for it, uh, and um, I know I every, every every legal person that's um, jacking him up now is taking a lot of they're getting death threats. Uh, they're they're putting themselves at risk. But they're doing it because uh, the judicial system is the last champion. All the rest of this stuff has crumbled. The politicians, you know, the uh, Republican politicians, uh, the House has become a whorehouse. <laughs> uh, well, well, speaking of crumbling, uh, Vice President, former Vice President Mike Pence officially dropped out of the um, Republican primary for president. Uh, I think it was Saturday that he dropped out. Right. Uh, And uh, we pointed out uh, that he had no chance whatsoever of uh, using his notoriety as uh, a vice president because the voters he were appealing to um, despised him because he did not join Trump. Right in pushing for the coup. So it could be argued, Monroe, uh, that had Mike Pence unsuccessfully joined Trump's coup attempt, follow me on this, so that ultimately it forced the Supreme Court vote on it and the Supremes voted uh, against Mike Pence, that he would be in a better position to win the Republican nomination. It's... But not that much better. The thing is, uh, Pence is boring. He's a, he's not a good candidate. He he wasn't a good candidate. Uh, Trump brags about coming to his rescue, and that was one of the rare instances where Trump has actually told the truth. Uh, Pence was not going to get reelected governor of Indiana, and basically his career as a politician would have been over until Trump plucked him uh, as his, his veep. And so he could stand around and, and um, nod his head whenever Trump says something stupid. Well, uh, the other uh, uh, sort of related to that issue that was uh, undercutting Mike Pence, and part of the reason why uh, Trump picked him in the first place, Trump picked him, uh, Pence was vehemently uh, anti-abortion. Uh, uh, 
and uh, passionate about that. If 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 you can call what Mike Pence does passion, uh, Trump, and, not, not Trump, uh, Pence was. Yeah, Pence was. Yeah, Pence yeah, was anti-vehement. Trump, so, Trump so was pro-abortion until he became president. Yeah, it, yeah. It, Trump's attitude toward abortion was a little like uh, Barack Obama's attitude uh, toward same-sex uh, marriage. He changed his position when it was convenient to do so to reach a certain number of voters. Right. And so uh, to really show that uh, his bona fides on the issue of being against abortion, he picked Pence. So Pence yeah. was useful to – but right. Pence's vehement – anti-abortion stance, uh, I think, follow me in this, Monroe, is even too vehement for Republicans who want to pass anti-abortion legislation, but they want to do it in a sneaky way that makes it seem like they're not. If you follow what I'm saying, in like a, a state oh, that hurt them. Because it's a poison pill, and they know this. And so, right, they don't want to be upfront uh, with it. Um, they used it to to get elected in their particular district. They used it uh, to raise funds, mm -hmm. but now the dog has caught the car, and the dog doesn't know what to do. Yeah, the dog has caught the car. Uh, yeah, well, anyway, I, um, I know what they, they're going to do. I know exactly what they're going to do. And it's, uh, why in part I say that, uh, Pence, uh, was too extreme on this issue. They're going to support Pence-like legislation in any state they can. Uh, and they're going to mumble on the issue and offer vague platitudes the way Nikki Haley is trying to do, the way Donald Trump even is trying to do. Right. Uh, in states like Illinois or Michigan, where it, it would hurt them, right? Uh, and um, so they'll they'll say something like, "I I don't think this is an issue for the federal government. This is issue states, state by state, right?" And uh, so that takes like they feel that takes it off the table as an issue, or, or it takes it off their their table. They're yeah. gonna take it off the table because in the states. Uh, like Mississippi or someplace like that, they're going full, uh, full, full throttle. Yeah. With it, it's like okay, uh, why don't we 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 burn women at the stakes? Stake that has an abortion. Yeah. Yeah. So that um, uh, that rhetoric that they're employing, that strategy, that uh, the, the Nikki Haley strategy. Donald Trump strategy uh, is what? What's the word? Like a little cleverer? I get a little less honest. It's well, far more, far more dishonest. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's the word. Far more dishonest. Yes. Uh, so yeah, Mike Pence. It's it's bizarre to say this was victimized uh, because of the strong stance he took on an issue uh, that MAGA supposedly holds dear. And that he he truly believed, you know, that's that was the other problem with Pence is, is like he is such a wacko. You know, you, you remember how he believed he never had dinner or lunch with a woman by herself. Either she, either his wife had to be with them, 
or had to be somebody else, some other person. But he couldn't have, I, I, I guess, because uh, unlike Jimmy Carter, who said in his heart he lust, uh, Pitts was lusted in his loins or something, so he had to check himself. <laughs> he was lusting in his loins. Uh, yeah, so he wouldn't even be tempted. Uh, <laughs> lust in the loins. And, and you know, and what's the course is really rich is that Pence truly believed that it was God's will that he be president. Wow. I, I didn't think uh, Pence stood a chance whatsoever. Uh, once he defied Trump. Yeah. Once he defied Trump, he didn't stand a chance. Right. Uh, and um, he didn't right. stand a chance before, but yeah. he definitely didn't. But, uh, when people are saying, um, hang you, they probably are not going to vote for you. Oh, yeah. And that, by the way, those are your voters. <laughs> right. Right. Saying, hang you are not Democrats. Okay. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's MAGA. Those are the people who you're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was appealing to for votes from people who wanted to kill him. Uh, so, uh, for defying uh, Trump. All right, we're going to close with something that we've never talked about before, uh, and um, but you said a few things uh, before we went on the show, so I'm going to bring back this conversation we started to have. Uh, so let me start by saying that uh, I think it was Saturday, I want to say, uh, Matthew Perry died at, at age 54. The actor Matthew Perry was one of the stars of a TV show, TV show called Friends. Uh, so my condolences to Matthew Perry's family. I, I, was, um, I thought I was the only person uh, in the universe who had never seen one episode. I have never seen one episode of Friends. I know it's hugely popular. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody for not having seen it. I'm not going there at all. I'm just saying for whatever reason, maybe I was too busy raising kids. Maybe I was too busy watching the Bulls. Maybe I was too busy obsessing over politics. Whatever. I never watched one episode of Friends. I was aware of who Matthew Perry was. I was aware of, just because I'm a consumer of news and I see the celebrity faces. So I know who. I think I can name all the stars of friends but i never saw one episode of friends when i said that to you you said i monroe anderson have never seen one episode of friends i almost passed out monroe i think there's now two people in the universe who have never seen one episode of friends uh and although i knew who all the people were because you couldn't you couldn't escape that you know, uh, Jennifer Aniston, Aniston, Aniston yeah. yeah, she made a movie here, and she and she was our army, she, literally a, a couple of blocks away from my house, and so I walked over there to see it, and I never understood her attraction. I mean, she is so girl next doorish that it, it's like, eh. Okay, wait, but you're moving us away from the central issue. Why did you never watch one episode of Friends? And uh, when I asked you that. Yeah, I said, because there were no black friends. <laughs> they didn't have one black friend. And I'm not talking about uh, of the core group of, of uh, friends, but yeah. they didn't, it was, it was like uh, there were no black people in New York. <laughs> 
and, and by the end, the, the last episode, I mean, not last, the last season, I think they got a, a black woman in there some kind of way. It was a part of it. But um, I, I had long, long before that written them off because that was also during that period when they were raining um, on, uh, on, on Fox and CW, they were doing all these black TV shows now. And it, in fact, there's, a, there's an argument that there was a black version of Friends before there was Friends. Uh, I forgot. I've forgotten what it was because I didn't. I didn't watch those shows either. I was gonna say you didn't watch those shows. You could not name one of those shows. I, 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 I could really put you on the spot. Name one of those shows that you're alluding to. I. The only reason I know about it is because my kids watched them. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I'd be walking through the house and I'd see them because. Uh, they would be on like you're right. Channel nine would be like six o'clock. There it was like odd right. times to have shows right. on. Uh, well, but, uh, I, I knew them and I knew some of the characters, but I've since forgotten them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's not worth remembering. Right. Uh, but run, run, uh, rerun was on one of the shows. All right. So my question to you is: uh, Do you think this day and age? Uh, Hollywood would come up with a TV show on primetime TV where there is not one black character. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it never dawned on them, I guess, in the 90s or where whatever Friends was came on for the first time. I should look it up while we're having this conversation that they needed a black character. Right. It's just like right. you think. Yeah, they could... I mean, and it was realistic in that I'm sure that there were thousands of young white people like them in New York who didn't have any black friends. But um, I got to a point where I was tired of uh, seeing young white people. Now, I, I had watched 30 something uh, back in the 70s or 80s. And I like, do you remember 30 something? The TV uh, show? <laughs> I vaguely remember it. I never watched that one either. But yeah, I, do, so I like, watched that one. I, I mean, I tried. You know, I watched that one also. But then it got to a point where, well. Well, um, have you ever watched a show that was all white people that you liked? Oh, yeah. I, I, I liked um, uh, those shows from the 50s and six, 60s and 70s. Mary Tyler Moore, and um, even Lucy. Well, Lucy wasn't an all-white show, actually. Uh, Desi Arnaz was Hispanic. Well, it was not all. It was non-black. Okay. Yeah, right. It was definitely not black. Yeah, right. Uh, all right. Wait. Time out. The honeymoon. You got to put a honeymooners on that list. Yeah, yeah I, I watched the honeymooners. Uh, yeah, there was a black version of the honeymooners. You know, there was a movie that was the, the black honeymooners. Wait. All right. So wait. Uh, so what changed either with you or with the shows uh, where like in the 60s you could tolerate watching or you might even enjoy watching Mary Tyler Moore all white cast or right. the Honeymooners all white cast. Right. What what was different? We just got tired of looking at white people? No, I got tired. No, no, no. White people are okay to look at. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I got tired of seeing all white people. Yeah. You know, I, I was looking for, uh, you had Miami Vice, for example, and I loved Miami Vice. But you had, you, you had, you had other characters besides just white people. Um, you know, I, I was a Woody Allen fan for a while until it, I, I read and I thought about it. Uh, Woody Allen never, ever had a black character in his movies. Yeah. What was that all about, man? What, Woody Allen? Not having any black people. I for... don't know. Maybe that may, may, may Maybe, maybe no black people lived in New York. Because he's a New York <laughs> Or maybe Spike Lee had them all and would let him have any. Spike Lee always had a white person or two. Oh, I know. In his movies. I know. Exactly. exactly. He made some white stars. Yeah. I uh no, I I I'm not sure Hollywood I think if they were doing friends now, there would be a black person in the uh, Oh yeah, of course. Why do you say, of course? Because that's how it is now. You know, it's amazing. I mean, it's um, TV has changed so dramatically in the past five or six years, whereas it's black people here, black people there, black people everywhere. Now, I mean, the 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 spokesman for for a lot of these commercials now are black. Like the State Farm spokesman, the All State spokesman, um, the um, insurance spokesman, death insurance. Where I mean, I mean, it's just amazing to me how TV has changed, and I attribute that uh, the the explosion to um, George Floyd and um, Cheerios. Cheerios? Cheerios. You remember the commercial where you had this black father and yeah, this half white girl. Go ahead, yeah. And they were having Cheerios. It was, yep. it was obviously an interracial family. And there was this whole white lash about it. And Cheerio said, screw you, we're going to run with it. And um, people didn't stop buying Cheerios. And so then other advertisers went, wow, <laughs> <laughs> put black people on, on TV. <laughs> And not only people watch, but they will buy the products. They still buy the product. Yeah. And, and so then right now, it's it's very much in vogue to have blacks in commercials. I mean, if you look at them. No, the state, you, you hit it on the head with a state farm. Pretty much uh, all I do is watch sports when I'm watching TV these yeah. days. Yeah. Uh, obsessively watching sports, football, basketball. Kind of quit on baseball, Monroe. I gotta confess, uh, and um, college football. Even I watched a lot of that. And uh, you're absolutely correct. State Farm, the insurance company. Uh, it's not uh, just that the, the the official spokesperson of the product, 
Jake of State Farm is black, but the people that he interacts with, black celebrities, uh, to a large degree. So, right. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, by the way, Aisha Tyler was the only black actress to have a reoccurring ro role on Friends, and that wasn't until season nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very. I got to give you credit on a couple fronts. One, uh, having the wherewithal to have a conversation with me while uh, doing a Google search. Uh, that's the millennial side of Monroe Anderson that he doesn't display too much in the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, it gives me an opportunity to invoke the great Sergio Mims, our dear friend, who is the only guest we ever had when we were in the live show, uh, who would engage while being on the show with this, the, the people who are on, like, making comments on the show. And he'd be, like, enjoying their chat. Uh, you looked that up just now? What did you look up? Yes. yes. Black, black people on, on uh, Friends? Is that what you looked up? Was there ever a black friend <laughs> on Friends TV show? And uh, Courtney Cox shared this. She says, Aisha Tyler, the only black actress to have a reoccurring role on the show, didn't appear until season nine. I was well aware of the lack of diversity and campaigned for years to have Ross date women of color. Somebody says, I don't know who they're quoting there. This is on, uh, I think it was Schrimmer. Yeah, it was David Schrimmer who said that. Yeah, and I don't know. I like David Schrimmer. Uh, he has um, a, a theater here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, Looking Glass Theater. Yeah. I uh, Which I've been to. They have. I've been to a couple of plays there. They were very good. Uh, I I would say this uh, that uh, I would like to have been in the room when those discussions were held. It would have been pretty interesting, Monroe. Right. You would be in the room, like when let's say uh, Schwimmer, they're having the people who run Friends, the the, the, the writers, uh, more like the producers. Forget the writers. They're just the hired staff. Uh, the producers and, and the cast are in a room, and uh, David Schwimmer or Courtney Cox says, we need a black person in this show. So let's have my character date a black woman. Right. And then what is the response? You get what I'm saying? I'm right. that, like, right. like, what is the response? You know, Well, come on. I mean, what is the response? I don't, you, you get what I'm saying? I right. Like, what do you think the response would be? The response was, well, we lose half the South. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, really? No, because um, in, in, in The Bodyguard. Yeah. Oh, yeah, The Bodyguard. Kevin Costner and uh, yeah. Whitney Houston. Yeah. People, Kevin Costner said he was... Um, uh, criticized by by some of his fans mm -hmm. for having the love affair with Whitney Houston. And his response was, hey, man, it was Whitney Houston. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild, man. Right, right. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, uh, yeah I, uh, I don't even know if it was the South. I don't know how popular Friends was in the South. Friends, I right. just... It was on in the 90s. 
yeah. like mid 90s to two, the mid O's. So like 94, it, 90, it, something had, like that. it couldn't have been, it was the number one rated show for Damn. a while. And it couldn't have been that without being popular in the South also. Wow. Uh, yeah. man. I, I, I probably all those, all those white people that couldn't wait to get the hell out of this. <laughs> I, I, uh, I want to go to New York. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the accents employed by Monroe Anderson are those of Monroe Anderson. Okay, Monroe Anderson's accent of a white person from the South. Uh, all right, very good, Monroe. Uh, just for the record, Monroe Anderson once told me, Monroe, you told me this, and I, I want to make sure I get this correct. You didn't meet a white person until you got to college. Is that correct? Or did you have a white teacher here or there? I had a white teacher in third grade, a white teacher, and a white teacher in 10th grade, a history teacher in 10th grade. I, when I was five and six, when I, when I, up until when I was six, there was a white man that owned a store across the street from us. And, but, you know, I was six years old, so I didn't know him. My father did. Okay. And when I was a senior in high school, I worked at an AMP hmm. as a, a um, packer, uh, you know, a stock boy. But, but they weren't really my friends. I just worked with them. So, I, so had, I had no white friends until I was at Indiana University in Bloomington. Wow. So upon meeting white people, I'm sure it was just love at first sight, correct? <laughs> <laughs> Where have you been all my life? All right, exactly. No, actually, it was a strain because... I I felt as if I had the white the weight of black America on me, and so I had to meet to counter the stereotypes. And so I, you know, it's it's like with um, uh, Nina Nina Simone song where she talks about if we 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 dress right and 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 do stuff right. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was doing that. And excuse me, then Stokely Car Carmichael in my sophomore year held his fist up and yelled black power. And that doing the Philly dog was as good as doing ballet dancing. Yeah. And it was as if a whole weight was lift off, lifted off my shoulder. Uh, and uh... Do you know how to do the Philly dog? I did. Wow. It was 50 years ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I vaguely remember it now, but I did it back then. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I heard you cool, everybody. It was, cool, it was a cool dance. Yeah, just Google. Yeah, yeah like a dog. And you, yeah. Um, yeah. Just Google it. You'll see it. Uh, all right, Monroe, uh, you and I. We will uh, are joined forever. The only two people in America who uh, have not seen one episode of Friends. I kind of have an inclination to watch. I could split on this one. On one hand, I want to. Yeah, me too. I've been thinking about 
that was that probably except I too was raising children at that time. Yeah. Like, and um I I had jobs that called for me to be out in the evenings frequently. So um I I didn't I didn't waste my time because yeah. it seemed like it was too much about white people. So okay, let me ask you this. Should we keep the streak alive and just never watch it, or should we say, ah, let's see what it's all about and watch it? What do you think? There's two schools of argument there. I think we should watch one episode and <laughs> see if we were right or wrong. Okay. And who knows? Maybe we'll get hooked. Uh, yeah, right. It's sort of like me and The Sopranos. I went for years without watching it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then I started watching it. I said it was, I was seven years after I went off the air. I started watching it and got hooked and I loved it. And then after a while, I was like, I wish I had never watched this because it's so repetitious and it's not even, I don't even know if it's worth it. Uh, and so I kind of wished I had not watched it again. So I, so I, I, I love the Sopranos from beginning to end. I, oh. um, I wasn't even upset the way they ended it, which a lot of people were. Yeah, well, that's a whole other discussion. I wasn't yeah, upset. Right. I was right. just happy it's over. Uh, <laughs> all right, see, all right. I, I liked True Blood too. So, <laughs> uh, Monroe Anderson. Uh, we're going to be doing a regular uh, episode, TV shows we've not watched. Yeah, right. Next episode, we'll be talking about uh, our favorite show from the 70s, Mary Tyler Moore Show. All right. Uh, thank you very much, Monroe. appreciate it. Uh, every Wednesday, we talk politics and now culture uh, with the great Monroe Anderson. Uh, I also want to thank producer Chris. He does an outstanding job. I think Monroe agrees with when I say, hey, producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Take care, everybody. And remember, if you missed any previous Ben Jarofsky shows, if you want to catch up on bonus interviews, if you like columns from Ben Jarofsky, just head to chicagoreader.com. You can find all that there and more. Follow Ben Jarofsky on Instagram at Benny J Show and like and subscribe to The Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.